0: Yo, what's up, everybody? Thank you so much for tuning into the gathering today. Remember, we have our brand new app out on the App Store and Google Play. Go review it, go download it. It makes the world of a difference. But now, without further ado, turn up your earphones, crank up those speakers, grab your Bible, and get ready for a word from Grant Reynolds. Well, I am glad that you're here tonight. We're going to look at Philippians chapter number two, like Grant said this evening. So if you have your Bible either on your iPhone or your Android or you've got an old-fashioned parchment scroll however you have it tonight go ahead and open it up and let's look at Philippians chapter number two and uh, I read through this passage several times in getting ready for tonight and as I read through it over and over again the uh, one idea came to me for what this passage was supposed to be about and so for just a few moments I want to share that with you tonight we're going to read through the whole chapter and pull out different parts of it but here's the idea that I feel like the Lord dropped in my heart tonight, and that is this. This chapter is all about how to split a church, ruin relationships, and destroy your life. How to split a church, ruin relationships, and destroy your life. So how many of you would like to know how to split a church, ruin relationships, or destroy your life? Raise your hand if that's what you're into, maybe, okay. This may be the wrong crowd for this message series. But think about it like this, though. How many of you would like to be a part of a church unified in mission? How many would like to have great relationships? And how many would like to build a wonderful life? Raise your hand. All right, so then do the opposite of the things I'm going to tell you tonight and put those in the place, and you're going to be okay. So if you're at Philippians chapter 2, we're going to take a look, and we're going to read it together this evening. So I want to just look at this entire chapter, and let's take a look at it. Here's what Paul says. It starts with a plea. From the Apostle Paul, of course, who started this church in the city of Philippi. And now he is writing to them from a Roman prison cell. And he writes them in the very first couple of of, of paragraphs here are a plea to them. Listen to what he says. He says this. If you have any, everybody say any. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ. If being with Jesus means anything to you. If you have any comfort from his love. If knowing that you are loved by God, I get a little feedback, a little ring here. I think I'm running hot in the monitors behind me there. You can turn me down a little bit. If, uh, if you have any comfort from his love, If you have experienced the love of Jesus in any small way whatsoever that's made a difference in your life, if you were down a little bit and he just barely moved the needle of your life, if you've had any comfort, if you've had any joy from Jesus, if you have any fellowship with the Spirit, if the Holy Spirit has touched your life in any way, if you had any tenderness, any compassion, then here's what he says. He says, if Jesus has made any difference in your life, then do this for me, please. Make my joy complete, he says. Paul says, This is the thing that's going to give me more joy than anything else. He says, Make my joy complete. How? By being like-minded. By being like-minded, by having the same love, by being one in spirit and in purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility, consider others better than yourself. Each of you should look not only to your own interest, but also to the interest of others. Your attitude should be that of Jesus Christ, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, But made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even to death on the cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my dear friends, as you've obeyed me always in my presence, But now so much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to do his good pleasure. Do everything without complaining or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars in the universe as you hold out the word of life in order that I may boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor for nothing. But even if I'm being poured out like a drink offering, of sacrifice, of service, of coming to your faith. I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. And then he talks about Timothy and he says, I'm going to send Timothy to you. He says, I hope to send Timothy to you soon. Why? Because look at this. He is a person who takes genuine interest in your welfare. For everyone looks out for his own interests, not for those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, he served me in the work of the gospel. I hope to send him to you and see how things go for me. I'm confident, the Lord, that I myself will come soon. And then he talks about poor uh, Epaphroditus, his brother, who's uh, just aching and homesick and sick and needs to go home. And he kind of winds up the chapter with that personal note there. How to split a church. How to ruin relationships and how to destroy your life. It's all in this passage of scripture right here. Let me give you the three ways that you can split a church, ruin relationships, and destroy your life in the next few minutes that we have together. Here they are on the screen. Number one, be selfish. Let's all say that together. Ready? Be selfish. Number two, what is it? Grumble a lot. And number three, argue all the time. If you want to split a church, number one, be selfish, want everything your way. If you want to ruin a relationship, number two, what was the second one? It says grumble all the time. And if you want to destroy your life, then the third thing you have to do is you have to argue about everything. Let's start off with number one, be selfish how many would you admit every now and then you are selfish raise your hand anybody else in the house besides me selfish this morning at 4 30 when my dog was whining and it was a decision of am I going to take my dog out or try to get my wife to take the dog out or wake up my kid to take the dog out I wanted to be selfish and stay in bed and pawn that duty off on somebody else how many saying we are born selfish from the minute we come out of of our mom we are yelling mine about everything all around us We want what we want. We are a selfish people. Look at what the Bible says here in Philippians chapter 2, verse 3 through 5. Do nothing out of what? Selfish. There's that word again. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. People, if you want to destroy relationships, if you want to split a church, if you want to ruin your own life, then number one, be selfish. Look out for your own interests instead of the interests of other people. Put yourself number one. Many of you are too young to remember this. In fact, I'm too young to remember this. But until 1954, if you wanted a burger in the United States of America... There wasn't a Wendy's to go to. There wasn't a Burger King to go to. There was not even a McDonald's to go to like we understand it today. You had to go to a roadside diner and order a burger. And you never knew what kind of burger you were gonna get. You weren't sure if the quality was going to be the same from place to place. And many roadside diners weren't places that you'd want to take your family to. They were more like pool halls and uh, places where motorcycle gangs would stop and rebellious young people in leather jackets were hanging out, shooting pool. And this was not what you want to be. But a guy named Ray Kroc in 1954 took a process of the, that was developed by a group, a couple of brothers named the McDonald's Brothers, and he created a chain all across America. I may have been to McDonald's. Let me see your hand. haven't been to McDonald's this week. Let me see your hand. All right, see, don't be ashamed. We're ashamed now to admit this. But he invented this system that when you went to McDonald's, whether it was in Springfield or St. Louis, whether it was in Kansas City or Cincinnati, whether it was in Las Vegas or Los Angeles, whether it was in Miami or Medford, Ohio, every burger that you got from McDonald's tasted exactly the same, no matter where you got it in the country. Look at it. Here's the burger from McDonald's. Put that on the screen there, young lady. Here's what we're talking about. There is the McDonald's burger. What comes on the McDonald's burger? You have a patty, you have cheese, you have pickles, onions, mustard, and ketchup. That's what you got, and you got what you got, and you didn't throw a fit about it, because McDonald's really didn't have a way to give you a burger other than the burger that they made for you. They made it this way, and this is how you got this burger. As a kid, I hated pickles, I hated mustard, and I hated onions. So you know what I did? I got the burger. I took a French fry and I wiped the mustard off. I tried to talk a brother of mine into giving me the bottom of his bun so he could have the top bun because McDonald's, it's just, you just didn't order it your way. But then along came who? Burger King. And Burger King said, guess what? You can have it how? You can have it your way. Have it your way at Burger King. You want a, like my wife, she gets a Burger King burger, a Whopper with no ketchup, no mayo. I get a Whopper with only ketchup, only mayo. See how we fit together? Isn't that wonderful? It's the key to our relationship. You can order a Burger King Whopper. You can get it with cheese, lettuce, pickle, however you want it. And they, they got it right there on the little thing and they mark it and they give it with this, without that, and you get it your way. Listen to me, Burger King didn't invent selfishness. Burger King just took advantage of it. Because we said we want life how? We want life our way. We want relationships our way. We want people to treat us the way we want them to treat us. We want church to serve us the way we want to be served. We want worship in the style we want worship in. We want everything the way that we want it. And the key to destroying our own lives and our own relationships is to be so selfish that we walk up to our mate, we walk up to our friends and we say, here's how I want you. I don't like you the way that you are. Could we please remove this personality trait out of your life? I'd like to take this off a little bit and I'd like to add this on. I don't love you for who you are or how God made you. I don't like the church for how it is, but this is how I want it. I want the temperature like this, the worship like this, the preaching like this, the parking lot like this. I want all of these things because I want it how my way, and it's not Burger King's fault. They just tapped into something that was in us from the very beginning. We want to eat of the tree and still get to stay alive forever. We want to have our cake or our apple or fig or whatever it was on that tree and eat it too. Selfishness is at the root of every kind of sin, isn't it? Think about any sin that you've committed, anything you've done. We, we are so selfish, we say, I'm going to do this because I deserve it. I know better than God does. Selfishness says, I can yell and scream at you and have no consequence back because I'm selfish. Be selfish. But what's the opposite of selfishness here? The opposite of selfishness would be what? To be humble. To be humble. Let's all say that together. Ready? Be humble. Be humble. Or as my wife who grew up in Texas, they say humble. Be humble. I never heard that before a time met her. Be humble. What does it mean to be humble? Look at what the Bible says. To be humble means this. To reject selfish ambition is what it said. Now, in another part of Scripture, it says this, he who desires the office of a bishop desires a good thing. So somebody that wants to do something for the kingdom, somebody that wants to make a difference, somebody that wants to make an impact, somebody that wants to build a great company, somebody that wants to do something that matters, somebody that wants to do something that's going to get noticed around the world, the issue is not whether you have ambition or not. The issue is whether it is selfish ambition or if it is kingdom ambition. You see what we're saying here? If you want to destroy relationships and do everything out of selfish ambition, but you can have tons of ambition to want to change lives, impact people, and make a difference for the kingdom of God. And if you want to build relationships, then it starts with kingdom ambition. If you want to grow a church together, it starts with kingdom ambition. If you want to build a great life, it begins with kingdom ambition. Look at the second part of that, though. He says, do nothing out of selfish ambition and do nothing out of what? Vain. What does vain mean? Empty. Vain. If we say, I ran the race in vain, it means I ran it for nothing. Vain conceit. Selfish ambition and vain conceit. Vain conceit is, you know, how many of you know anybody who is, like, way more confident than they deserve to be? It's a vain conceit. Don't look this up now. I know you got your iPhones and everything on there. But look up, uh, uh, don't you know who I am? And hear all of these stories of B-list and C-list celebrities going into restaurants, not getting tables, going into airports and not getting first class. And they come up with, well, don't you know who I am? I was a supporting actor third class in the movie Avatar. Don't you know who I am? I was, I was an extra on a television show. Don't you know who I am? And we have this attitude, don't you know who I am? And that comes out of selfishness. And that's what the Bible talks about, vain conceit. We go to God and we say, God, don't you know who I am? I shouldn't be going through this. I shouldn't be having to face this. And all of these things come together. But no, the humble, when we come to God in humility, the Bible says in James chapter four, verse six, to res- that God resists the problem. But he does what? He gives grace. How many want grace in your life? What is grace? Grace is the spiritual activity of God. That's what grace is. But he gives grace to who? Grace to the Humble to people who say, I know I can't do a thing without you. I know I can't achieve anything without your help. God, I'm coming to you. I'm not coming to you selfishly, but I'm coming to you in humility. And I'm saying, God, I need you. And look at that's exactly what Jesus did in the very middle of this passage. He he didn't consider the quality with God something to grab onto and to latch onto. And yet he said, He let go of being God and he took on the form of a servant, even becoming a human. The creator became the created. He submitted to death, not just any kind of death, but a horrible death on the cross. And because he humbled himself, what did God do? God lifted him up to a place that now every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. If you want to do something great with your life, don't be selfish. The Bible teaches us here. If you want to build great relationships, don't be selfish, be humble. Do nothing out of selfish ambition. Do nothing out of vain conceit. But what does it say? It says, consider other people more valuable than you are. Live your life for the benefit of somebody else. Let me give you the second way to destroy relationships, split a church, ruin your life. Second one this, grumble a lot. Grumble a lot. Has anybody complained about anything yet today? I mean, it's toward the end of the day. Has anybody complained about anything? Raise your hand. Just go ahead, raise your hand. I've complained. I know, have you, have you complained about anything? Okay, good. good. Grant, you complained about anything yet today? Yeah? Complaining. Look, look, at, look at what the, the Bible says here in Philippians chapter 2, 12 through 14. Therefore, my dear friends, as you've always obeyed, he says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Do this. Do everything. Look at this, verse 14. Do everything. Do everything. Go to work. Go to church. Raise your family. Live in relationship. Do everything without complaining. But we like to complain, and why do we like to complain? We like to complain because we like to have it our way, and when the burger comes out not our way, guess what? Time to complain. I ordered that without pickle. I ordered my life without suffering. I, I ordered my life without strife. I ordered my life with nobody stabbing me in the back. I I didn't put that on the menu when I drove through the life box there and talked to the person that I couldn't understand. I just, no, I didn't order that, but I got that. And now that I got this thing, I didn't order this layoff. I didn't order this physical setback. I didn't order this emotional tumult in my life. And now that I've got it, though, I've got to complain about it. And here's what I found out. Nobody likes to complain alone. We like to complain in packs, don't we? All right, here we're going to do something very spiritual. Right now, I want you to think very quickly. Seven dwarfs. I'm going to give you 10 seconds, mentally or on a sheet of paper. Write down her name as many as you can. Ready, set, go. Here we go. Five seconds. All right, time. All right, how many got bashful? Oh poor Bashful! Oh, we got about how many got sneezy? Okay, we got Bashful got how many got happy? Raise your hand if you got happy. Oh poor happy! All right, how many how many got Doc? A little more got Doc. How many got sleepy? How many got dopey? How many got grumpy? Look at y'all! See, we're a grumpy group of people. We love Grumpy. Look at him. Put him on the screen. Come on, keep up. I'm not complaining, but keep up, little uh, slide girl. Look at it. There's Grumpy right on the screen. We love Grumpy. Grumpy sells more merchandise than almost anybody else. The only one that sells more merchandise than Grumpy is Dopey. And then they've got the t-shirt that says, I'm Grumpy because I'm with Dopey. And that's how we are with life. We like to celebrate being grumpy. We like to celebrate complaining. How many of you have ever celebrated complaining? You say, oh yeah, I called them up and I gave them a piece of my mind. I've tried to stop that because I need all the mind I need. I need to keep everything I got intact. And yet we go around and we complain. We are grumpy all of the time. And he says this, do everything. Not just some things. He says, do what? Do what? Do what? Everything. Now that's just hard, isn't it? But he says, if you want to build a great life, instead of grumbling a lot, he says, be grateful a lot. Be grateful. Here's what I know. I know the Lord wants you to pray about your problems. But I also know that the Bible says this in Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. It says that we should present our prayers and petitions to God, but we should do it how? With thanksgiving. Because if we don't remember to be grateful for what we have when we're praying for what we need, our focus will become on what we don't have instead of what we do have. And so it's good to be thankful and it's good to be grateful. So if you want to destroy relationships, you want to split a church, you want to ruin your life, then number one, be selfish. If you don't want to do that, number one, be humble. Number two, complain, grumble a lot or be grateful a lot. A few years ago, my wife Amberly went through a time and uh, she, she read this book and it's called A Thousand Gifts. A Thousand Gifts. And there's a picture of it there. You can order it off of Amazon. You can pick it up. And that book, A Thousand Gifts, made an incredible impact and transformation in her life. Amberly, come and I want you to just tell us a little bit. I'm going to interview her here. I'm going to hold on to the microphone. I'm not going to give it to you. I don't want you to take over and start preaching completely. All right, but so this book, A Thousand Gifts, uh, number one, when you found this book, when God brought this book to you, what was the season of your life like at that time? We had a deal.
1: No, no, no. <laughs> really, it was a, probably one of the most challenging seasons of our life. Um, and my mindset was not very good. Um, And reading through this book, um, it was very timely. I'd had the book for a while kind of stuck in a corner. Um, It really wasn't the season for it. But when I was going through this season, I thought, I looked at it and I found it and I pulled it out and I read it. And one of the things that, as I was reading through it, said, how can we take good things from the hand of the Lord, but also not accept the difficult things that come in life as well. And so it really challenged me. But the thing that came from this book was the listing. All right, before we get to that,
0: though, uh, just before you get to that, before you get to the listing and what it made you... So you were going through, just to recap, you are going through a very challenging season. It was a season of loss. It was a season of grief. Uh, You'd lost your dad. Uh, we were going through a very difficult, a challenging time in ministry, very challenging time with, with our family. This wasn't just, you know, I woke up and had a hangnail uh, one day. This was probably one of the worst times of our 26 years of being married. And God brought this book that you had had for a while, and I I've, I've found God do this many times. You, you have a book, and it's not for that season, but it sits around, and then all of a sudden it comes up, and that's what happened. And tell us, what did the book tell you to do? Tell us about this list. <laughs>
1: She did this for her own personal life. Um, It's very, very simple. Take a journal um, because it talks about the giving of thanks and how it's a spiritual practice of giving thanks and finding Christ in the giving of thanks. Um, And that's what it does. It's a very simple practice. Take a journal and every day... Write down as many as you want to. Some days it is... As many what as you want to? Many, uh, write down things that you are thankful and grateful for. Well, give us an example of some okay. things Okay, so some things, before. some days, it's very... The first one was me. Yes. So on day one, it was Glenn. No, oh, was it wasn't. I was day 137. No. Okay, go ahead. Okay, go ahead. some days it is um, as simple as... My children, my husband, my family. Some days, it was sunshine. Some days, yeah, I love chai lattes. Sometimes it was as simple and basic as that because the days could be really challenging and very difficult. Some days it was friendship. Some days it was a warm house. Some days it was uh, a warm meal. Basic things. Some things it was the love of God. It was his word. Some things could be very deep and spiritual. Some things, you know, uh, a scripture that he gave me, but it was it transformed my mind because it took my focus off of what was going on in the natural, in the difficult, and it turned my focus off of that, and it turned my focus onto what he would he was giving me the good things, the positive things, the gifts that he was giving me in my life and the presence that he was in my life in the everyday.
0: That's good. That's good. Let's give Amberly a good hand. So I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you. If you want to have a great life, if you want to have good relationships, if you want to be part of a church that's unified, not divided, learn how to be grateful. Gratitude reframes your life, just like Amberly said. It, you can have a painting and one frame on it, it looks one way, but you put that thing in a different frame, now all of a sudden it looks completely different. And that's what gratitude does. It reframes your life. Number one, instead of instead of being selfish, we need to what? Be humble. Number two, instead of grumbling, we need to be what? Grateful. And then number three, if we want to ruin relationships, if we want to just split a church, if we want to destroy our lives, number three, we need to argue all the time, about anything, about everything, and I would add one more, about nothing. We are good at arguing. Now watch this, I'm a lawyer. My mom would tell me as a kid, you should be a lawyer one day because you would argue with a fence post. I don't know what that means. I think it means that you just argue with anybody about anything. And I hear, one, I hear lawyer after lawyer say, How'd you go into law? Well, my mom told me as a kid I was good at arguing, so I should be a lawyer. Well, I like to think of lawyers as people who solve problems and, and provide solutions, not people that just argue. But a lot of times, we just want to argue. Have you ever just wanted to argue for argument's sake? There have been times with Amberly. I am not ashamed, well, I am ashamed to admit this actually, that we would be having a discussion, not really a fight, but a loud uh, fellowship of disagreement, and uh, there would be moments where I would realize I was wrong. Have you ever been in that moment, Joe? Have you ever been in this moment where you realize you're wrong, but you keep arguing because you want to win the argument? Well, watch this. Winning arguments at the sake of relationships will split a church, ruin a relationship, and destroy your life. But we love arguing. I'm a Baltimore Orioles fan. And my favorite manager of all time was Earl Weaver. Put Earl up there on the screen. Earl got kicked out of 94 baseball games. Ejected for doing what? For arguing. Number three, all time, only two other managers got kicked out of more games than Earl Weaver. And that's because he only managed 2,500 games and they managed 4,500 games. They had 2,000 more games to get kicked out of than he did. And one time, Earl got so upset, look at the next picture, he got so upset, he tried to throw the umpires out of the game. They had ejected him, and so he decided he's going to eject them. It's hilarious. He's just out there arguing, and people are cheering, and people are clapping because he's he's arguing. But Jesus said what in Matthew chapter 5, verse 9? Blessed are the who? The peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be known as the children of God. So what do you want to do as we wrap up? Instead of arguing all the time, stop arguing about almost everything. Now, some things you might want to go ahead and argue about. If if your spouse has decided that Jesus Christ is not the Son of God and you need to worship pasta, that may be something you stand your ground and fight about, okay? (laughs) Okay. I mean, there are a few things to stand up for. I used to say when I was a pastor, I'm not going to argue about the color of the carpet or the color of the pew. But when it comes to, is the Bible the word of God? Is Jesus Christ the son of God? Is he the only way to heaven? Those things I will stay and I will fight. But everything else, I'm not going to argue. Because arguing doesn't help anybody. And so you have to decide, are you going to be an arguer or not. Look with me real quick at one last passage of scripture here. Uh, Well, in this passage, we're looking at it. He said, don't do everything without complaining. He said, do everything without arguing. And then Paul also writes to the Romans in Romans chapter 12, verse 18. Here's what he says in this passage of, of scripture. He says, as far as depends on you, live at peace with everybody. As far as you can't always live at peace with everybody because some people just won't be peaceful people. But as much as depends on you, you do your part to live at peace with other people. You do your part to not argue. So here we go. If you want to split a church, if you want to ruin relationships, if you want to destroy your life, here are the three steps. Number one, be selfish. Number two, Grumble a lot, and number three, argue all the time about anything, about everything, about nothing. But if you want to instead be part of a church that's unified, that makes Paul's joy complete, that's of like mind, of like spirit, of like purpose, if you want to have relationships that are flourishing, and if you want to build a life that matters, then instead be humble, be grateful a lot, and stop arguing about almost everything. Jesus is our example. In Philippians chapter 2, we see it. Jesus takes a downward ladder to success. He goes from being in the very nature of God to dying on a cross. And then from that cross, God raises him to where every knee bows and every tongue confesses that he is Lord. He's our example. And so he's the one we have to ask to show us, to help us to do this. But we say, well, if Jesus was the only one doing it, we couldn't do it. Well, that's why Paul, I think, also gives us Timothy, who says, Timothy is a man who has your interest and my interest at heart. That's the kind of people I think God wants us to be. People who know that even when they're not in the room with us, we have their best interests at heart. And when we're that kind of people, People will trust us. We can build a church. We can build a ministry. We can build relationships. And we can build a life that matters for God. Let's all pray together.
1: That's this week's word. We're so thankful that you decided to join the gathering today. We are the gathering and we're
0: so grateful for you. Remember, go download the app, Google Play, Apple Store, share it, review it. It makes a huge difference. God bless, and remember, let love echo.